When I think of all my faults and all my failures, when I consider all the times I've let God down, I am humbled by the grace He has extended. I'm amazed at the mercy I have found. I could never earn His love on my own. Yet every time I come before His throne, I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I Am. nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Even at my best, I am unworthy. I have nothing precious I can give. A broken life is all I have to offer, and yet it is a priceless gift to Him. The bitter mark of sin will never fade away, but I can come before Him unashamed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand Turn that off? Okay. Well, let's take our Bible. Turn over to the book of Amos tonight. Amos. We'll be kicking off, getting ready for our VBS. So I thought I'd just share a simple, really simple little thought tonight. And uh, I trust it'll be a help uh, and just an encouragement. <clears throat> Out of Amos chapter 8. We're going to take a little bit of time and kind of run through the chapter. And then we'll uh, just make a very brief application and move ahead tonight and get things moving. As we look forward to our Vacation Bible School, and uh, it's, it's always big. It's very big. So, Amos chapter 8. It's in that Old Testament if you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a number of chapters, but they're pretty short. And like Ezekiel or Isaiah or one of those, wow, those chapters can get really long. 
Chapter 8, Amos chapter 8. Let's begin reading. Thus hath the Lord God shewed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end has come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? It shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. That day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst, They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. The manner of Beersheba liveth. Even they shall fall and never rise up again. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight and help us, Father, just to be encouraged tonight. This passage is certainly anything, but uh, it would seem anything but encouraging. And yet, Lord, we tonight are blessed like no others. We thank you so much for your marvelous grace and mercy in our lives. We ask that you would once again speak to us through your word. May you take the simple truth of your word and allow it, Father, to equip us and ultimately inspire us, even this very week. We love you. We need you. We ask for your filling. We desperately need the Holy Spirit of God in our lives and to show up in this place. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Right off the bat in chapter 8, we see a simple sign. He says there in verses 1 through 3 that the, that the Lord showed him a basket of summer fruit. This basket of summer fruit was ripe. It was prepared or almost ready to perish, I should say. He says even at some point in verse 2, he says that the end is come. 
Now, fruit only has so long to, to, to last, if you will. It only lasts so long, but the fruit in this case was growing rotten. It didn't have much longer before it would be no longer edible, before it was any longer useful. And as we move along in verse 3, it seems that Amos, uh, he, he, he hears the Lord and he says, And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Again, Amos is a prophet now to Israel. And Israel, of course, is part of the northern tribes. And the northern tribes would ultimately go into Assyrian captivity. And now the Lord here is sharing with him some things. And he says to him simply, The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. Now, it seems therefore then that Amos was in the vicinity of one of the calf temples. And what I mean by that is, is when the, 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 uh, Israel was divided, remember that Jeroboam went ahead, instead of sending the people to Jerusalem to worship, he decided to create two different places of worship, one in the south in Dan, one in the north at Bethel. And he, he molded, if you will, uh, molten calves. And there they were to worship. He introduced idol worship to Israel right off the bat. Those ten tribes were already destined for failure. And so it appears that Amos is hearing the sounds that are coming forth from this temple here in Bethel. And again, he could hear the choir singing a hymn. And that hymn seemed to, to, it sounded at first like it was to God. It must be directed to the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the God of Israel. But it was actually being offered to one of the evil spirits that was known for energizing idolatrous worship and idolatrous religion. So the Lord says through Amos, he says, The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. And his prophecy continues, and it goes on to say that there'll be corpses everywhere. The dead bodies would be carted away silently is what the implication is. Even those howlings, it seems, will cease at this point. So right off the bat, there's a simple sign. The sign of this summer fruit, this basket of fruit, The end has come, he says. It's over. You're at the end of your rope. But then we come face to face with a very strong sermon in verse 4. And it goes right on through verse 13. We see this strong sermon. The prophet raises his voice again and he addresses the carelessness, the cruelty of certain people toward those who are poor. He talks about those who literally will stifle and try to discourage and even steal from and deceive the poor. He denounces those evildoers because here they are preying on these helpless people, people that, well, don't have two nickels to rub together, people who are struggling to make ends meet. And he says, They're going to go and they're going to try to take every dime from them possible. The poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. I mean, he's really not happy with them for cheating and for using deceptive practices to undermine the poor. 
He denounces those who, who are greedy for gain. That they're so impatient with these holy days, right? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, we've got better things to do than to worship the Lord all day long. Man, we have, we have produce to sell. We have, we have items to, to sell. We've got to, business to transact. The Lord's Day, who cares about the Lord's Day? Man, making money is king. It's at this point that the Lord breaks in and says, I will never forget any of their works. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty scary thought. I'll never forget any of their, uh, forget any of their works. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that the Lord forgets a lot of the things I've done. But in this particular case now, he is fed up to here with Israel. And he would say, I will, in the course of this passage between, chapter, between verses 7 and 11, he says the words, I will, seven times. Well, what's he say? First of all, he says, I will never forget any of their works. I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I don't know about you, but that seems to be a reference to the tribulation period. He says, I will darken the earth in the clear day. We've seen times like that. Remember, even when Jesus was on Calvary. He says, I will turn your feasts into mourning. A time that should be a time of joy and happiness is going to be a time of mourning. And all your songs into lamentation. There'll be no happy songs anymore. All you'll sing about is your burdens, your heartache. You have nothing good to sing about. I'll turn your feast in the morning and all your songs into lamentation. He goes on to say, I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. I like that last part. It's starting already. And then he goes on to say, I will make it as the morning of an only son. Think about what he's saying there. Have only one son and you lose your son. Well, that's mourning. And the end thereof is a bitter day. These are just some of the I wills that now Amos is sharing from God to the people of Israel because of their sin, their rebellion, their disobedience, their idolatry. Their attitude toward God himself and toward the holy days. What a terrible thing it would be to have our sins, whether individual or national, to always be on the mind of God, you know? That he's always thinking about our sinfulness. So Amos at this point warns the people of a, nat a very natural disasters to come. And, and, he and, and he even warns them of, a, of, of an invasion, an occupation from foreign nations. And as we said, we know that the Assyrians are going to come down and they're going to go ahead and take Israel into captivity. But worse, far worse, 
the natural national disaster. Look at chapter 8, verse 11. We find the seventh I will. Notice he goes on to say here in verse 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Worse than the loss of their homeland, worse than the destructive acts brought about by the enemies of God, was this spiritual famine that awaited them. And sadly, this prophecy has come true. The famine began with the rabbis growing. They, 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 they had this growing infatuation with tradition. And they loved their tradition. And so the rabbis, the religious leaders, emphasized and, and truly uh, just spent a lot of time dealing with and thinking about and, and sharing their traditions. That infatuation with tradition turned into an infraction against God. Because in time, after Calvary and after the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews substituted the Talmud, tradition, for the Word of God. And for thousands of years now, they have tried to feed their souls on religion instead of the Christ. They have substituted the Word of God for their tradition, their, their personal beliefs or their national belief or their religious beliefs. It doesn't matter. The fact is, there's only one Word of God. Anything but that is going to leave you in a famine. So we noted right off the bat this simple sign. We have this basket of ripe summer fruit that's about to perish. The end has come, says the Lord to Israel. Enough's enough. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And this strong sermon is presented. No, I mean to tell you before it's over with. He finally lowers the boom and says, The day comes that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread and a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You're going to look for my word. You're going to beg for my word, but it won't be available. You won't find it. Verse 14 expresses what I think to be a very slippery slope. By the time we conclude the chapter, chapter 8 of Amos, we're going to read, They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. You know, it's been said, and you've heard it over and over again, and I may have said it, others have said it as well. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You've heard that probably. 
Again, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Israel had been entrusted the oracles of God. God literally from heaven had extended the word of God and placed it into the hands of the Israelites. We don't have the Bible except it be for them. He extended to them, gave to them, according to Romans, the oracles of God. And yet there comes a point in their history where literally they can't even find it. We know that there was a time when they couldn't find it even in Israel and it came up in the temple. Wow, there it is. We found a book. And it was God's word. But this time they can't even find it buried under the dust and decay of the temple. Tradition. Tradition and sinful impulses took root until they took oaths by the sin of Samaria, it says. Again, this phrase undoubtedly is a reference to that, that, that altar, that calf altar at Bethel. See, the center of Israel's idolatry was there, there in Bethel, there in Dan, there at that altar where they had those, those calves. And now we find them swearing by them. Farther north again, and there, there, I mean, farther south we had, even we have, uh, see I'm getting, probably getting mixed up. But we have Dan also, and here they are swearing now, and Dan, by the life of the God, by the life of a lump of metal is what it's mounted to. This metal looks like a cow. Can you imagine? We know that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and, and they enter, they're going you know, away from Egypt after being just experiencing tremendous supernatural deliverance, what happens when Moses goes into the mount for 40 days, 40 nights? Well, the people compel Aaron to mold a golden calf. It's interesting to me that now in Dan and Beersheba, after the division of the, 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 the nation of Israel, after we now have the northern tribes, Israel, we have the southern tribes, Judah, we come up with two calves that we're going to worship. What is it about Israel and idolatry? You know, we often think of Israel being monotheistic, you know, just one God. And they are indeed, at least that's what God intended them to be, but they are idolatrous. That's why Joshua turns around there in chapter, uh, over there in Joshua when he, he gives that fi those final remarks. You know, who are you going to serve? Are the gods that are on the other side, or are you going to serve me? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But God knew already their tendency was toward idolatry. Can I tell you that in this old flesh, all of our tendency is toward idolatry? You know, we act sometimes so pious and as though we're so righteous and holy, like we got it figured out, but the truth is we are so prone to idolatry, it's disgusting. Yeah. We worship our spouses. We worship our children. 
We worship our education. We worship sports heroes. We worship activity. We worship comfort. We worship, we worship, we worship. We bow down to so many things other than Christ. And yet we have the audacity and the attitude of, well, you know what, I'm better than they are. At least I go to church. At least I read my Bible and pray. I'm not perfect, but neither is anyone else. That doesn't impress our God at all. We, like Israel, are so prone to idolatry. And Amos, he heard these oaths, and he's seen the manner, or as you would, the way of Bathsheba. There are some that thought that there was literally a long avenue of idols leading to a central idol. And so they envisioned, they're thinking that possibly Amos envisioned this long road, if you will, of idols along the way that led to the main idol. And, and so there's some imagery here that's taking place, potentially. And when the people said the manner of Beersheba liveth, they're implying the way of Beersheba is, Beersheba is the living way. You say, what do you mean? They're saying that the way of idolatry and the road of idolatry is the living way. This is how you live life. This is what's most important. These are the priorities that matter most. And people say, well, your education has to come before church, so it's important you study before you go to Sunday night service. If you're going to be a difference between uh, getting a good grade on a test or going to Sunday night service, skip Sunday night service, forget about God for a moment, and focus on your education, because that's what's important. We've got all these children being born in our household here at the church. Let me tell you something. Don't allow your children to keep you from God's house or to keep you from services. Learn to feed your children before the service starts. Don't feed them during service. Thank you, preacher. We love you. You are such a blessing. I know I'm a man. And you ladies may not like to hear things like that from a man. Your husband should be the one telling you that, not me. Your spiritual well-being is more important than that child being fed at the exact time they're supposed to be fed. Man, you should teach that at a ladies' meeting. I know I should. Preacher, thank you again for calling it like it is. What a blessing you are. Wish every preacher understood the word like that. There's at least three of you that think that's wonderful. I'm telling you, we put so many things ahead of him. We say, just like them, if we're not careful, the manner of Beersheba liveth. What's important is the ball game tonight. That's the way. Good education, good job, good future, good bank account. Good retirement. That's it. That's the way of life. I'm telling you right now, that's what was going on in Israel. And can I tell you, that's what's going on in America today. Is it not? I mean, is this not a picture of America today? As we look at Amos, is that not the way? That idolatry is king? 
By the way, an idol has no power to produce life. It can't do it because it has no life in it. Jeremiah points that out when he says that idols are nothing in Jeremiah 2.11. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not yet gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. He said it's bad enough that the world and, and, and sinful world is doing this. He says, but my people? This, this is beyond comprehension. You're my people. Shall a man, in Jeremiah 16, 20, shall a man make gods unto himself? And they are no gods. Excuse me, he said, it's a question. Shall, the, shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods? Why would you make gods? They're no gods at all, he's saying. An idol is only a piece of wood or stone. It's carved by human hands. It has no power of its own. Samuel calls idols useless things. In 1 Samuel 12, 21, And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit for deliver, nor deliver, for they are vain. They don't deliver anything. They don't profit anything. I guess that's the deception of some of the idolatry in America. It promises good health. I think I'll go hiking on Wednesday evenings with the family instead of being in God's house. I think we'll go get in touch with nature instead of being in God's house. It promises something in our minds. But he says there's no idol that really profits anyone. Doesn't profit you. Doesn't profit me. A man or a woman goes after someone of the opposite sex. I've got to have a relationship. I've got to have companionship. And they put that over and above everything else, even God. It'll profit you nothing. It'll cost you everything. That's the way you start your relationship. I promise you, it won't get better. You'll have to treat them like a God the rest of your days. And let me tell you, that's wearisome. Whether it's guy or girl. Preacher, you're really on it tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is good stuff, preacher. I wish I was taking notes. The Apostle Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. That's pretty clear. But see, what Israel did is that they substituted idols for God and they attributed life and well-being to them. Israel neglected God to begin with, but they eventually discarded God. See, that's what happens. If we're not careful, we neglect Him, then we discard Him. And that's what happened in Israel. We see that in America, don't we? Everything that we see with Amos, in Amos, we're seeing in America in general. It's really sad to watch as the Word of God has been discarded. It was neglected for years, but now it's being totally discarded. God in the schools and God in the home and God in the public domain, he has been discarded. Every once in a while, someone says something like, you know, well, a tragedy struck, let's all pray. And I'm watching that that's becoming less and less of an issue anymore. People don't like to talk like that anymore. This is a tragedy that we see in America. This is a tragedy that we see in our, our communities. 
I'm glad that here we have not done that to my knowledge. But boy, it's happening all around us, isn't it? Everywhere we go, it seems that God has been either neglected and being neglected, or he has been literally just discarded. And I mean to tell you, it doesn't look good. This is a very slippery slope, and our nation has embraced it. And the outcome and the consequences of such action have proven themselves to be devastating in the past. And they will produce no less devastation today. You say, but God, we're in a dispensation of grace. Let me tell you what, it's not going to end good for America if we continue to discard God and his word. It's not going to end up right, it's not going to end up good. No matter how gracious God is, my friend, he is not going to put up with that. This idea, he has put up with so much already. Don't think that America will remain the great nation that it is as long, unless, uh, unless we continue to do what we did to get that greatness. And can I tell you what we did wasn't provide everybody with a good paying job. What it was that we did is we took the gospel to the world. We were the mouthpiece of God around the world. And that's why God blessed America so financially. That's why God blessed America and prospered her because of the position that America had with God and around the world promoting him. As we see less and less missionaries go to the field, as we watch our young people buy into the idolatry of materialism more and more, as we see them say, what I really want is ease and comfort more than I want a life of self-discipline and service to the master. We are going to find that God does not have the time of day toward us the way he did, that he is more than willing to say, fine, you move on, America, I'll grab someone that will go for me. And let me tell you, it won't be easy for us, even in the church, as God begins to set America aside because of its failure and lack of commitment to him. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. And let me tell you, we're becoming a much more sad nation. And today, as we're on the eve of our vacation Bible school, this is the setting that we find the children and the teenagers in today. We look at America and we see our neighborhoods and we say to ourselves, there is a dire strait. There's a real problem. We got issues that we face like None other generation, it seems. It's horrible to watch what's going on. These children are not being raised with any self-discipline or even discipline at all in many cases. And we find them where they're not being raised with God at the foundation and at the, the base of their, their home and at the basis of their family and their relationships. God is not involved. The Word of God is not evident and it's not there. They go to school and they're indoctrinated against God, not for God. They're taught everything that's anti-God and we're going to bring them into this week. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how dark the day is. It doesn't matter how bad it's gotten. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are that we find them in today. My friend today, what we have is something that can liberate them, something that can free them out of the bondage and enslavement of Satan and sin. We have the Word of God. And we're going to bring them in on those buses and we're going to bring them in in cars and we're going to put them in those classes and we're going to teach them the truth, the Word of God. And although the world may be having a famine of the Word of God, we're going to flood them with the Word of God here. Saturate them with truth. 
give them a fighting chance. He said, I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will look for it and they won't find it. Let me tell you, at Community Baptist Temple this week, you'll find it easily because it will be before every listening ear. You show up, you're going to get it. And you're going to get it lovingly and you're going to get it compassionately and people are going to try to help you see God. And that's the point. We're going to do something that is not natural and normal this week. We need a supernatural touch. We need the God of heaven and the Holy Spirit to come down and do a work in our lives and in the lives of these youngsters because in the world of darkness where the Word of God has being, is being totally and completely discarded, it seems, here is where it reigns supreme. And we want it to reign in their life and their heart too, long after they've left this place. Again, a famine may be covering much of our nation, but it's in your heart and it's in your mind. I trust you still hold the Word of God in your hands each day, and so do I. And may I say that what we hold in our hand is the only hope of mankind. It is so easy to fall into the trap of believing that there are other means and ways to meet the longing within the heart of mankind. But it is found only in God and His Word. And that's what we bring to our community this week. The Word of God. There may be a famine like there was even in Amos' day. It may seem grim and it may appear that there's no hope, but there is hope because we still have the Word of God. There's still hope. Again, VBS is a time to flood them with the Word of God. I want to encourage you this week to hold it high for all to see. To live it before the eyes of every child. To leave them with a desire to learn more, to trust Christ, and to enjoy Jesus just like you do. There may be a famine in the land, but not here. So this week, let's make sure that they get the Word of God, because this is the hope of all humanity. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the precious truth of the Word of God. And Lord, there's no doubt that it may appear grim and bleak, but Lord, it needn't be, because Lord, we have your Word. And Lord, you are gracious and you are good. And Father, you are powerful. Lord, what these youngsters need this week is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. They need to know that there's hope and it's found in your truth. Father, help us as teachers and workers and uh, Father, in every area of ministry that we will participate this week to remind them about you and your Word. Father, we must make the Word of God a priority in our own lives, and in the lives of others. 
We love you and we need you today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight as the music plays. Again, maybe you're teaching, maybe you're a worker. Man, ask the Lord to empower.